We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing tonight? IB Nation Sports Talk is up and rolling. Notre Dame-Clemson coming up this Saturday night, along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. You look uh, you look a little bit better than you did a couple of nights ago when you and Vince yeah. and I were together. <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel a lot better. A lot, lot less things going on today. So, <laughs> And tomorrow's Friday, so I have no complaints. No flat tires, no traffic court, you know, none of that stuff today yeah no up early no staying out late all of it combined i got I, w- I got so much sleep last night that i was i was so tired that i fell asleep on top of all of the covers with all the lights on that's how you know you're you're a tired person when you don't even the, the lights and the the blankets none of it bothers you you just want to sleep and that was me last night that's for sure yeah you know you're wiped out at that point <laughs> well glad to have you here today tommy guns is in the house calling out Ivy Nation. Salty put me on the clock a little bit ago, but uh, we were waiting because I saw this. I saw Salty like looking around in the chat, like where is everybody at? So we were we were kind of waiting a little. We we waited a couple extra minutes to see if some uh, stragglers came in, and it looks like a few more have crawled in. Hopefully, we get some more uh, to um, to kind of liven things up. I know Salty and and Tommy Guns will keep things fresh though for us tonight on the old live show. So glad to have. Everyone with us here tonight, and Heather uh, calling for a whiteboard. Do you have the whiteboard ready to go tonight, Jess? I do. Um, not, All right. Maybe not as extensive as prior, but we'll see. I just there's a couple. But things there will be I, whiteboard. There will be whiteboard, and I've added a new wrinkle, so hopefully uh, the people will enjoy. Whiteboard wrinkle. All right. <laughs> well, this seems like as good a time as any to mention. Jesse will be making his IB post-game show debut this Saturday night. He's going to be on the post-game show. I know Brian and Vince will be there. I think I heard Sean Davis is going to be at the game, so I don't know if that means he won't be on the post-game. 
and you're kind of jumping in for him. But Jesse on the post game show Saturday night, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I think it's going to be more uh, def- so most importantly excited because it's the first time I've ever done it. Um, and then second of all, I'm really excited because, uh, you know, the fact that I, I've never gotten the opportunity to kind of give my live thoughts, my fresh thoughts on the game. Um, but that just means I'm going to have to be a little bit more tuned in during the game. Usually during the game, I'm kind of hanging out, maybe having a couple drinks here and there. So I got to make that's, sure and stay clear. That's the first thing I told Vince when he told me is, okay, so what version of Jesse are you going to get Saturday night with this <laughs> night game? <laughs> you know, so wasn't really sure about that. So uh Tommy Guns calling for you. Where where how do you how do you say that? Is it Massillon? Massillon? Uh it is it, it's I don't I know how it's said, but I can't say it myself. <laughs> but that's Ohio, right? Yeah, that's in Ohio. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um Chris says, am I crazy to think taking Tennessee at plus eight this weekend is easy money? I love Tennessee. I think that is very – I think if you parlayed Notre Dame and Tennessee's cover, like, and you threw just a little bit on it, like five bucks – like five bucks, though. Like, just something real small, good, high odds. It's just five dollars. Find you a parlay partner that's not Notre Dame, though. I just (laughs) – I'm still – I'm still very – I'm very very gun-shy about – any bets regarding Notre Dame, just based on the ups and downs? I don't like it. I want to take Notre Dame money line with the safer. Do you feel comfortable? I mean, I don't feel comfortable with it, but I know that they produce good odds, and I'm I'm a hunter of uh, good odds. So <laughs> that's that's where I'm coming from. I think if you you could do like a very small, like I, again, another small parlay of like the Tennessee money line and the Notre Dame money line. And I think you could come out with, you know, like, again, a $3 bet. I bet those odds would give you at least 25, 30 bucks if both of those hit. So I don't know. I think I, I'm I'm actually astonished that Tennessee is that big of underdogs. Me too. That Georgia matchup. I think Tennessee has shown more than Georgia this year. Um, and they have more kind of offensive firepower to go for it. Yeah, Chris says he's, he's always let down when he plays Notre Dame. And that's... It's, That's my unfortunate thing too. Is it seems like when I don't play Notre Dame, they do what they're supposed to. When I do play on Notre Dame, I just barely miss. So I, there's really no winning, in my opinion. So I, I think I might have to to learn finally and just stay away, like you're talking about. Just <laughs> don't even don't even get tempted about it. We are not. Marshall wants to know who Henry has in the UGA Tennessee game. Does he feel Nolan Smith injury could be a factor? And of course, Henry. For those who don't know is jesse and naomi's dog so hovering in the background you can see him he's all sprawled out he's happy that i'm home he's been that him pouncing on the bed just waiting to yap any minute he gets a chance yeah anytime (laughs) there's another dog going by (laughs) we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Well, if you would, pound that like button right now while you're sitting in here in the YouTube chat as we get this live show going tonight. And uh, I'm starring a few other questions as we go to uh, to kind of we'll, – we'll address them in rapid fire if we don't get them, get into them in this main segment. I, I've got a bunch of startup for the uh, specific uh, sports-related questions and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, D-Rock Irish, don't bet Notre Dame. Agree. Jekyll Hyde. I just, I'd like, I, I want to see what they do. We'll, we'll talk about it here in a minute. Seven thirty under the lights. Saturday night. Um, Marcus Freeman did his Zoom press conference today, so I wanted to start off. We've got a few, a few comments from Marcus Freeman from his Zoom today. He had some, uh, some interesting topics come up. I think one of the better Thursday Marcus Freeman media sessions of the season myself, just because of the. Uh, the different kind of things that came up covered a lot of different topics on today's show. How interesting is weather? Well, I've been kind of keeping an eye on this and I haven't mentioned it during the week because you know how things are around here. And I'm sure they're the same in Cleveland because you sit right next to one of the great lakes, Lake Erie as well, just like we're, you know, not far from Lake Michigan weather around here. Like you can forecast it for the weekend, but things can always change. So I haven't really talked to the weather. It's been fairly nice here this week, but it's supposed to get nasty Saturday. Forecast calls for 60% chance for rain Saturday with wind gusts of up to 40 miles an hour. Could could calm down by game time, but again, the way the weather is around here, it's just hard to predict exactly when it'll come, when it'll go, what it'll be doing, all that different stuff. So here's what Marcus Freeman said today when he was asked about how the weather could affect the game plan Saturday. You just got to be aware of it and understand that you got a certain plan that you have when you're going with the wind and, and depending on how strong the wind is, you got to have a another plan when you're going against the wind. Defensively, you got to be ready for shots when you, the offense has the wind and defensive and offensively, you got to be ready to take some shots um, with the wind. Special teams wise, the same thing, understanding if you're kicking to the wind or kicking against the wind, I'm um, kicking with the wind or against the wind. So again, it, it's just having a plan. Um, to utilize the wind or or understand that hey the other the opponent has the wind or we're going against the wind all right so there's marcus freeman a lot of windy talk talk mostly about the wind not necessarily about the rain and again maybe it's just windy maybe it's rainy wind gusts up to 40 miles an hour and fairly consistently between 15 and 25 miles an hour is what they're calling for right now so if it is rain, you've played in plenty of rainy games. So if you're Notre Dame, how does that affect you offensively? Do you think it benefits Notre Dame? You know, I think that the rain is kind of a neutral factor for Notre Dame. And I it, really the reason I say that is because, you know, their game plan isn't built around deep shots down the field. They're not they're not really developing long plays downfield. They're more of the short, you know, obviously running game, play action, and, and the shorter passes that come off the play action. So for, to me, I don't think that the rain does anything, but, you know, it 
it can potentially help them, but I, I really don't see it as too much of a factor. Like I said, it's more of a neutral thing just because they don't develop a lot of plays downfield, nothing that takes a lot of time. But I will say if they are going to consider, you know, taking some shots, I think that like Freeman said, you have to be cognizant of if you have the wind or not, because there's no reason for Pine to be throwing a 30 yard, you know, ball downfield into 30 mile per hour wind potentially. So the only thing that I would be cautious of is again, like Freeman said, the wind, just making sure that if you are going to maybe potentially call some of these bigger plays that you at least have the wind with you. I don't, I don't think Pine needs to be throwing into the wind. He obviously isn't really built for that. Um, but the run game, I think would, would obviously give some, some advantage to the Notre Dame because of their physical run style. It, it is hard to get your footing as a defensive lineman linebacker when you have See, someone barreling, barreling down on you. It's hard to you know sink your feet into the ground. Obviously, it might be – and, you know, turf is slick itself too. So playing on natural grass I think is a little bit easier because you can actually get more traction, but the turf uh, tends to be a little bit more slipperier. So I think with the physical nature of how Notre Dame runs the ball and how Estime runs the ball – I think that that could benefit them just because of what I was saying. You can get more of a punch or initial blow on these defensive linemen and linebackers as they're trying to gather their footing in the rain. Yeah. And again, I think – Go ahead. I think motion is another thing, again, that I talk about I think is something that benefits Notre Dame greatly, but this is – it benefits them greatly even more because if you're getting people moving around in the rain, you're just causing more – more chances for chaos. So, and you know where you're going. The defense doesn't. They have to right. try to shadow you. Yeah, Clint says maybe the wind will help make Pine more accurate. I don't know about that, but you know, it, at this point, <laughs> maybe it's worth a shot. Who knows? I, I think the big thing is, you know, when Notre Dame was down in at Clemson in, in 2015, in the uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Joaquin. There was a lot of throwing of the football when Notre Dame went to Michigan a couple years ago in the rainstorm. You were there for that game. You and your buddy were there for that game. Uh, There was a lot of throwing of the football by Notre Dame. Meanwhile, Michigan just ran it, ran it, pounded it right at Notre Dame. So let's hope with a different head coach in charge, the game plan is a little bit different. Maybe this is the night, you know, if it is raining, that – we're actually fine with Notre Dame just pounding the football and continuing to run the football, huh? Yeah, I, again, I think that this is if, – if it's going to rain, I think that the rain benefits Notre Dame more so because Notre Dame has a more, I do of, a, too. more of a dependability on the run game and, and how it – you know, the rest of their offense develops off of the run game. So yeah. I think that it is a it, – it leans towards Notre Dame. I'm not saying it's like this great advantage, but if it leans more so towards one team compared to the other, I think it leans more in Notre Dame's favor. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I agree with that for sure. So, um, you know, the other thing that I wanted to, uh, to get – I've got a couple other Marcus Freeman comments that we're going to get into here if I can find them. Um, he was talking about – playing up and playing down to the competition. And I think that, um, you know, this is something that we brought up earlier in the week. They're three and one against ranked teams this year. Of course, with the loss being to Ohio state, and that was only by 11 points on the road, whereas they're two and two against unranked teams. Is that right? Is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I keep I keep forgetting the number of games that they play. Yeah, that's eight games. So yeah, so that is that is correct. So 
Marcus Freeman asked about this. You can look at it a couple of different ways. And uh, is it a home game? Is it a away game thing? Um, is it a, a opponent thing? You know, what we got to do is focus on the things that it takes to play well. And no matter who the opponent is, we have to truly focus on what it takes to deserve victory, what it takes to really be able to execute um, throughout the entirety of a game. And, and we can't let the opponent um, dictate our ability to focus on that and our ability to execute. And so, um, unfortunately, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the previous losses and and some of the poor performances that, you know, have they been higher ranked teams? No. Um, but but as I tell our players, it's about continuing to improve and it's about making sure this Saturday that we're performing at a high level and that's all we really want to focus on. So what do you think, Jess? Again, we touched on this earlier this week. You heard Marcus Freeman kind of talk about it slash not talk about it there, but I don't know if he has his finger completely on it. I think it would be hard as a head coach to get your finger on it. Again, when you're three and one against the better teams on your schedule, but two and two against the worst teams on your schedule. We've been looking at it more as a home and away thing for most of the season, but what adds to the just to how odd this situation is, not is it not only is it just home and away, but they're beating ranked teams away from Notre Dame Stadium. This is going to be the first good team, the first ranked team. It's a top five team. It's the first good team that Notre Dame has played at home this season. So what do you, what do you make of what you heard from Freeman and, and just kind of your, your thoughts on this whole situation here? Yeah, for me, it's not a home and away thing. It's just playing up and down to competition. I think that we're going to I see think. a very, very good team or, you know, good matchup, good game, good performance this Saturday. Uh, against Clemson, and it's it's just solely because of Cle you know who Clemson is. The rankings just came out; they're in the top four. They're a playoff team. You know all these all these guys know that. Um, and uh, yeah, to me, it's it's not a home or away thing. It's just knowing who your opponent is. And I think the most important thing that Marcus Freeman said there, and, and what it kind of sounded like to me, is they need to focus on what they can control versus what they can't control. And they can't control the talent of the other team. They can't control the performance of the other team. But what they can, can control is that their their preparation is the same uh, every week, no matter the opponent. It, it, it's, it should almost be like, it, I know you can't do this, but I wish you could do it. They could do it in the, in the respects of like, they don't know who their opponent is going to be. They're just preparing and they're just showing up to play. Because I think that that's something that would benefit them. And again, it just comes down to me of controlling what you can control and, and doing that to the best of your ability. And I think that's kind of been the the difference between some of the struggles and the ups and downs that we see. I think that sometimes that they don't really focus, they, they focus on the uncontrollable things rather than kind of mastering, you know, what what they do well and what they can control. Couple things, because one, the subject of the mental performance coach came up today. And for the last five years, they'd had a mental performance coach uh, Dr. Amber Selking but when Brian Kelly left for LSU uh, Marcus Freeman apparently decided not to continue down that road so they don't necessarily you know have a, a mental performance coach now he did say players you know if they can talk to coaches they can talk to you know that there are some some different resources on campus you know if they need you know that kind of of coaching, but 
to what you're talking about, the fact that they're playing up and down to to their competition. I, I mean that that's as as someone who plays sports, especially at a high level, that's what you want. You know that that that's the kind of thing that you need that mental performance coach for. And that had not been an issue over the last five years, right? You know, like they were getting up for playing the the lesser teams, quote unquote, on their schedule. Now, you know, again, like the really the highest of the high ranked teams, they you know they didn't compete with as well, but they were beating the teams that they were supposed to beat. So it's, it's just really curious kind of where things have taken shape. When you consider the fact you, you don't have that specific resource anymore, working closely with the team. Like I, I remember like when Jonathan door, when he was kind of becoming the kicker and he was having issues early on, there was at least some credit to the mental coach as well as, you know, a couple mechanical things, that he did. So I, I just find it interesting that, that their, that their play is going up and down, depending on who the competition is playing up to the competition, playing down to the competition, but you don't have that resource that you used to have anymore. Yeah. I never realized that that, that was, you know, um, that was the case and, and you bring up a good point, but to me, it, I think that it, based on that Freeman is kind of saying, you know, I, I am that resource. I, I, I believe that I can prepare, you know, I should be capable of preparing these players. And if yeah. they have some sort of feeling or need to, you know, they can come to me and then there's other resources as well. So to me, him eliminating that is almost just kind of like his confidence in himself and who he is as a person and a head coach. So, you know, I, I, I admire both sides, but if you continue to kind of see these issues, you know, there's no, there's no real downside to having that kind of, you know, specific person dedicated to, to the football team of helping out guys when they, you know, the mental coach, when they need that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised that he kind of eliminated or didn't go forward with that same type of coach. But to me, again, it, it sounds like that it's just something that he would rather take on himself or believes that, you know, his coaching, uh, I guess, strategy tactics can, can cover those sort of things. Yeah. And in the meantime, I, I do like the more that I sit back and look at it, I think it's more, playing to the level of competition versus home and away. It just happens to be that's how the schedule right. has broken out this year. So, again, I, I'm confident that Notre Dame can play a good game against Clemson, but I guess we'll see. You know, I, I guess we'll see what it looks like Saturday and if they actually do, because we've talked about, well, do they, you know, are there things that they need to eliminate, you know, from, from what they're doing at home and all these different things. So I guess we'll find out here in a couple of days if they can actually play with Clemson or, you know, obviously potentially even beat Clemson. We'll find out what that looks like. Now, former Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, um, a noted reported sign thief, like stealing signals from, uh, you know, down on the sideline. Um, he's now at Oklahoma, of course, but Freeman was asked if, if that concern, you know, the 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 sign stealing, the, because there was talk that that Venables was doing it two years ago when Clemson came to Notre Dame Stadium around the same time of year, was it just a Venables thing? And here's what Marcus Freeman said: um, That's a college football thing, you know. I think um, competitive advantage is something that all teams will try to do. If you're going to let teams steal your signals, they'll do it. And so we have to every week have a plan for that, you know, continue to switch signals, continue to switch who's live and, and have a great plan in terms of 
um, how we're going to be able to communicate with the guys on the field what we want them to do. And so um, that's every week. It's not a Clemson thing. That's just an every week thing in terms of if you don't think it's it's real, then you're probably getting your signal stolen. And so you have to have a great plan for that. By the way, I saw this from Derek. He sounds sick. He did seem, and like when you listen to him, he definitely didn't seem to have like the same vibe that he usually has, you know, like whether he's sick or just, you know, kind of, you know, feeling it at the end of the week or or whatever. He didn't have the the same, you know, kind of Marcus Freeman effervescent energy that he he usually has. But um I don't know how much to read into that, but maybe he is maybe he is feeling a little bit under the weather. But sign stealing, you know, it's like if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? It like <laughs> I, re- I remember I got lazy coaching third base once and gave a kid a bunt signal. And you remember the sign system that we had, Jess. It was designed so that, like, I could – I didn't have to st- – well, it's I guess it's hard to explain. But it was designed so that you didn't necessarily have to – you wouldn't repeat signals, you know, from, from one at-bat to the next – you know, touching different parts meant different things, but I got lazy once, gave a kid a bunt sign, and he, I can't remember if he bunted it foul or he missed the bunt or, or, or what he did. So instead of like changing, you know, with the, with the different sequence, I just gave the exact same sequence to make it simple for the kid. And of course the coach on the other bench yelled, he's bunting, <laughs> you know? So it's like th- th- they're out there, you know, that's, ex- you know, I've got no problem with sign stealing. I'm just curious, you, I I remember early in your football career, like you were one of the, you know, the guys on the sideline. I don't know if you ever tried to steal signs. Like did, did, did any of your teams ever have guys who were specifically sort of assigned to try to steal signs from the other team? No, I don't, I don't necessarily remember being, you know, having assigned people, but I will say that you know I don't I don't see the signs the sign stealing as something that's like bad or voodoo or you know if, if you're going to use the same signs and you're going to make it kind of a pattern like thing then yeah you kind of deserve your signs to get steal like it's something that kind of has to vary each week and you need to switch up for something like this um, but again it, I don't ever remember us kind of going out of our way to look at signs because there was just so much other things going on you know it's like yeah you kind of it's really kind of often overlooked and I, I'm sure that Venables kind of probably had a guy that sat up in the box on the headset who you know potentially kind of did look at signs the other the, the whole game so I don't think it's a player thing I think it's more of you might have someone like an assistant or maybe a grad you know grad student that's that might be looking at that kind of stuff but I don't see anything wrong with it at the end of the day, but I don't think that enough effort should be going into like one, trying to steal signs and two, maybe seeing if other teams are stealing your signs. You'll know if they have, like you'll, you'll you'll see, you'll see communication. Your guys more so will hear your guys will come off the field and say, Hey, the other team knows what we're doing because they're verbally communicating back and forth of, you know, Oh, the, this, this hot, you know, this hot signal gave them some sort of clue that they knew it was coming and then at that point, that's when you start switching things up. So yeah, I don't I don't see it as something that's like, oh, we got to have guys who as long as you're not signs. using technology, you know, whether it's video cameras, right. you know, whatever it happens, you know, like obviously buzzers and stuff like that, like the Astros were doing. It's ironic that we're talking about sign stealing with the World Series and you know, being with, with the Astros being involved in it. 
is going on. But yeah, as long as you're not using technology, I've got no problem with it. You know, if it's just a guy or guys standing on the sideline or in the press box or whatever, trying to steal signs, that's fine. I mean, that's, you're out there trying to win football games. So I've got no problem with that at all. Going back to what we were just talking about with the mental coach, Fred says, do you think Lou had a mental health coach during his tenure? Just saying, well, no, but I mean, I think we can all, you know, concede that 30 years later, it's a different time. <laughs> like these guys are everywhere or guys or guys slash girl, you know, these, a lot of people are using mental, you know, mental performance coaches. It is a big part of elite athletics today. So, I mean, just because Lou didn't have it back then, a lot of people weren't doing it back then. But more, uh, uh, the majority, I think, have some sort of, you know, mental performance coach today. I mean, th- these guys are out there like they, you see them everywhere, you know, whether it's whether it's on Twitter, you see them talking to, the, like the Yankees have one. Now, we made fun of the Yankees a couple of weeks ago because they were showing the Yankees the Red Sox 2004 comeback win, you know, over the Yankees trying to motivate them. But, you know, you're right. Lou probably didn't 30 years ago, but most everybody didn't do it 30 years ago. That doesn't mean you don't do it today because the times times have changed a little bit. There's a lot of different focus on a lot of different things. All right, Jess, do you have your whiteboard ready to go? I do. I am um actually give me one second here i gotta hit the present button yeah i mean john makes a good point good coaches even historically were motivating their players slash athletes now the job has been outsourced that's right it's really just a different kind of motivation i think and a way to redirect your brain you know as much as anything it's 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 all part of the motivation process great point all right do you want me to put this up there all right go ahead Cool. So the, the thing that I wanted to get into today was, you know, what what does Notre Dame need to do this week outside of kind of the same stuff that we've been talking about over and over the last few weeks? Right. Like because at the end of the day, it's game nine now. So like you, there's only so much you can say that Notre Dame needs to do this or that. But depending on this matchup and, you know, what I think needs to happen in order for Notre Dame to have the most success, these are kind of the things that I wanted to go over. And I. My key to this game and Notre Dame's offensive success is going to revolve around Drew Pine's performance. And Clemson has a very good defensive front, you know, and, and they, and obviously Notre Dame has a very good running game. So it's a battle of the trenches. Um, and so when, when, when the running isn't probably going as well as you're accustomed to, a la running over like 200 yards or, you know, 150 when, when Syracuse has given up around like 85 a game, you got to do other things to kind of move the ball, right? And so to me, Pine's got to have – he can't have a 50% completion game. He's got to be at least 65%. I yeah. think they have to get over 100 rushing yards on the ground. But at the end of the day, Drew Pine is the key to victory, in my opinion. They will only go as far as Pine's performance in this game. And I think that there's things that Pine can do uh, outside of – throwing the ball that could potentially help this offense. And I think that if Pine can get more active with his feet in the run game, I think that that opens up a lot more for them offensively. Okay. So 
what I wanted to go into was just a very, this is Notre Dame's favorite formation, right? This is 11 personnel. This will be Michael Mayer right here as your wing. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, wing right. So you have two wide receivers. You're on the left hash, one wide receiver into the boundary. You have, you're in a, a shotgun set. Uh, Michael Mayer is lined up on the wing on the right side. And then you have two wide receivers into the field as well. And here's, here's kind of what I would like to see them do um, against Clemson to get Drew Pine more involved. And so this is kind of like the run variations. And then I'm going to show kind of how the passing can also set up off this formation. Again, the reason why I picked this formation is it is Notre Dame's most probably run formation. And this is how Clemson lined up to this formation continuously against Syracuse. So I thought both of these kind of went well together. Okay. Uh, so here is just a simple play that I think could help, you know, get Drew Pine more active. So you're going to have your left tackle kick out. Oops. Left tackle kick out the end man. Uh, your left guard is going to kick out the the interior line. Or sorry, he's not going to kick him out. Sorry. Um, your, your center is going to reach to that guy or your, your, the defensive lineman on the left side, uh, your right guard is going to get the guy over the center. And then here's where it kind of gets interesting because you're going to pull your left guard around in this scheme, right? And then your right tackle is the main thing here. And this will be the key of the game is how this, this combination of right tackle and mayor work up to seal off these linebackers, because these linebackers are playing so pinched inside, and I think Notre Dame's biggest advantage in the run game has to be on the outside. And so you put this linebacker in a bind, right? Because if he's close to the action, he's got to move more this way to make plays. So that has to be the guy that you're taking advantage of, in my opinion. So you use your right tackle to seal off the first linebacker. You're going to use Mayer to seal off the other play side linebacker. And then obviously in an RPO look, you're going to leave the, the end guy on the line of scrimmage free. And so I'd like to see Pine potentially, you know, hand this ball off. And if the DN crashes down, that's fine. But then if he doesn't, he's got to be able to keep it and take advantage of this whole open area here, especially if this linebacker wants to play this far inside. So, again, I think Pine has to do more things uh, to win this game. And I think a big factor of that is using his legs more in the run game and we saw it i can't remember when we saw it but he pulled it and he got a good chunk of yards like he's not obviously tyler buckner but he's got enough wheels where if, if this defensive lineman crashes down he can get three to four yards and that's what their offense is built around is just getting three to four yards just just what you diagrammed right there you've got most of the offensive line flowing to the left and that linebacker that you're talking about kind of trying to manipulate there what you're hoping is his first step follows those four offensive linemen to the left side of Notre Dame's play and that gives that gives Mayer you know more time to get to him to block and creates more space out there on the on the right side potentially for Pine to run to or maybe even throw to you know depending on what happens on that side yeah and the good thing about it is no matter if it's the give to the running back or Pine keeps it it's himself he's they have a left guard, you know, the guard pulling out in front of them. So they, yes. they're going to have they're going to have one extra person that can get out in front of them. And hopefully, you know, that guard can step up to the safety that's stepping down or, you know, if a, if a linebacker gets off the block, he can hit that guy. It's just whoever shows up first, essentially, is who that guard's going to hit. But you're going to have a lot of open space 
with a big man in front of you. <laughs> yeah, so that's what Tommy's asking. What the what the pulling guard is doing? He's ba he's basically just there for the convoy, you know, to kind of run interference. It it sounds like right, like it, it just depending on what's what's in front of him. He kind of cleaning up the trash. Yeah, essentially, the, you know, the, the left guard is like your security blanket to clean up anything that leaks out. You know, it, it, it's got to be, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be picking up whoever's kind of there in that open space. But the main thing is these two end guys here have to wall off the linebackers because the linebackers are the most fitted to make this play, right? They're designed to stop run. You're not asking your safety to come down and shed a def or offensive lineman and potentially make the play. So, Again, I like this because, you know, flow is going this way. You're sealing off this guy, this guy, this guy. Your guard comes around, and hopefully these last two guys can seal off the linebacker, and you kind of have an open convoy in this open area right here. Again, where you're just trying to get anything more than three yards is a bonus, but as long as you get three yards, you know, that's 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 ultimately what they're looking for. Well, I mean, there are other things that you can do on that basically as well because you're pulling that guard. I mean, it sets up for counter tray type stuff as well where where you're you know your 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 running back is taken because everyone those four offensive linemen are their flow is going to the left so the running back takes the you know the initial step to the left and then you can hand off to him going back to the right as well you know because you've got that pulling guard in front of him again you know like counter trade type stuff exactly so that that is just a, a big piece of where i would i i I would like to see Pine get more involved. Like, cause I don't think that the shoulder, he should be way like if, if Clemson can prove that they can stop the run because they, you know, they, they have a good defensive line. Pine's got to do, do more throwing the ball or more with his feet. And I'm more inclined to, to allowing him to do more with his feet because I just don't think that, you know, he's built around letting these long pass plays develop. And that's nothing against him. I just think if you're, if your quarterback needs to do more to potentially win the game, why not add another threat and be able to use his legs a little bit more? So, you know, multiple questions about whether that guard would block your defensive tackle there because the tackle is is unblocked. Are, are you relying on that defensive tackle, again, because everyone else is flowing to the left? Like, this he's guy, going to make – yeah, like – or well, defensive is, end, I'm sorry, not defensive tackle. Like, he's going to make that step inside. Like, what's – he's got to be accounted for, obviously. I think that's what everyone's wondering. Yeah. So, I mean, in an RPO scheme that that's, he's the read man. So if he's crashing down, you know, you're going to fake it to your running back and your running back essentially blocks him by getting tackled. And now you have a polling guard out front of your quarterback that's running right behind him gotcha. or say, you know, the quarterback or sorry, the defensive lineman, you know, realizes RPO. Okay. Well then that leaves a wide open hole between where Mayer's blocking off the linebacker and this defensive end is occupied out here. So either way, he he has to go unblocked because he's the read man in the situation. Okay. All right. What else you got? So next thing I have is another action, same kind of concept. And this is why I like this concept a lot is because you can get away with showing the same motion or sorry, the same kind of setup, but running pass out of it. Right. So Again, what you want to do on this play is you could you could still use a pulling guard and not pass. The, the pulling guard just can't go downfield, right? Like right. that's that's the whole concept. So again, left tackle is going to kick out this guy. Center is going to reach for this guy. Right guard is going to reach for this guy. Your guard is now going to pull and kind of sit here and more than likely combo this guy or maybe a linebacker that's coming down 
But again, you're showing the same, you know, overall look, but now you're getting into a pass concept where you can leak, you know, mayor kind of out like this. And then you want to potentially, uh, you can run your, your inside wide receiver here on, on a deep kind of outpost. You run this guy up and over. And this creates a good concept because now, you know, this, this defensive back, let me grab edit. This defensive back is probably going to have to follow, you know, this guy over into here. If this guy comes down, your, your safety is going to more than likely kind of be playing in this area. And now we have either a one-on-one -on -one matchup, you know, with this outpost or mayor kind of sitting down here in the flats you know, wide open essentially, because this guy is going to be put into a bind of, do I step down? Do I potentially go with this guy? But either way, something should be there in a quick enough time. And that's, that's got to be the key to this game is Clemson's defensive line. Isn't going to, isn't going to allow pine to sit back there. So it's got to be plays that are designed to get the ball out quickly. And I think these reads are fast enough where you can get the ball out quickly. And again, you're still showing a lot of the same action, but you're confusing them, and these linebackers are, you know, potentially kind of stepping up. You have your safeties kind of stepping up a little bit, and then you're, you're just creating more one-on-one -on -one matchups when you're able to do this and kind of show the same uh, motion. Okay, here's the question everyone wants to know. Where's the throw it to Tobias Merriweather play? <laughs> <laughs> if I had to do the the throw it to – hang on, I'll get, I'll get there. The throw it to Tobias Merriweather play – um, that's gotta be, again, I, I can happen out of this set. You're pulling this guard, you're setting them here. Um, you know, potentially you run, this isn't mayor, but you run this guy on a streak and more than likely this defensive back is going to go over there and, and run with that and have some sort of help. Right. Cause that guy's, uh, man to man. So you take this defensive back out of the picture. Uh, you got these linebackers kind of stepped up into here. Um, and then you have what, what you would do next is you would – sorry, I'm trying to get there. Um, okay. You could run Mayer on, again, another – if you ran him on some sort of kind of like seam route like this, that takes out this safety as well. Um, and then you're left on, you know, this side with one-on-one -on -one matchups. So at that point, what are you doing to get your guy open? I personally would like – some sort of uh, concept, kind of like dueling, dueling wheel routes, I guess is what I would potentially call it. This guy kind of comes out here, and then you have this guy coming into here. But what that does is you, it makes these guys kind of communicate, right? right? You have to be able to pass those off when you're in man coverage. And with someone's speed and size like Merriweather, I think he could get outside up here and, and really utilize – you know, these two DBs trying to pass them off as well as being in one-on-one -on -one coverage at the same time. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else? Uh, offensively, that's really, like I said, that's really kind of all I wanted to get into is just showing a lot of the same action out of run and pass. And that'll put these linebackers and safeties in a bind, but you can still accomplish a lot of things and getting Pine more involved. I think Pine has to be a wrinkle to the run game this week, especially if they're going to attack the edge because the interior of Clemson's defensive line is their strength. And I wouldn't run at the heart of it. I think they have to get on the outside and everyone knows about their running backs. So why not get pine involved into the game plan as well? Yeah, I like it. You know, I mean, he's shown that, that, that he's mobile enough, you know, he's, he's not, 
Tyler Buckner, but he is mobile enough to make plays with his feet, and you're going to need to run the football against Clemson. It can't all be on Drew Pine's arm. So I like I like some creative ways to get him involved, if possible. Yeah, I just you know, it doesn't have to be overly hard stuff. It, it's just a simple kind of RPO look. If he crashes down, just pull it and grab three to four. I think that that's got to be the main uh, you know, point that they hit on. If Pine's going to run the ball, just get your three or four and go down. You don't have to play a hero. You don't have to take big hits. Just gain positive yards and keep the ball moving. Keep, you know, stay ahead of the chains or stay on right. schedule, as a lot of people like to say. And that's all they got to do is just pick up on average of four yards per play. And I think that their offense is very well built to do those sort of things. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff as always. Do we need to take your whiteboard out now? Oh, yeah. I, I, can, I can stop sharing now. <laughs> all right. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.